Hey guys, welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Marta and this over here is... Megan. That's uh, me. Today we're going to be... <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about uh, some more senses and some more perception. Uh, but before we jump in, Megan, I have a question. If What's you that? had to give up, if you had to give up a sense, which would it be? Um, my sense of pride, <laughs> or uh, one of the five. One of the ones. five physical senses. Um, uh, huh. Do I have to give up all of it? Like if I picked touch, am I not able to feel anything ever? Let's say yes. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Normally, uh, the sense that most people give up is either sense of smell or sense of taste. Um, and I think, I think you mentioned before that you don't, you don't agree with that. You don't want no, to I give don't. up your taste. No, no, I definitely and don't want to give up taste. And I don't want to give up smell either. Like the smell of coffee in the morning or something baking or mostly food-related smells, apparently. Oh, um, for sure. For yeah, sure. I don't want to get rid of those things. Oh, well, campfire. Maybe, I can't. Oh, yeah. No, I can't oh, give up smell. Yes, that's a... Uh, people in my neighborhood, they all light fires. Like when it starts getting cold, they all have chimneys pumping out fire smell and it's so good. Same with up here. So, like you drive around and like everybody is having like a burn pile or a bonfire or now is the season when you start firing up your wood stove or something like that. So like anytime you drive around up here, it's just, you always smell it. It's wonderful. When I left Toronto the other day, I was in Toronto the other day when I was driving back I got up to like my area and right as I got into my sort of area I literally I smelled campfire like somebody was having a fire and it was like oh my god I'm almost home <laughs> I'm only 25 minutes away oh that's so nice yeah uh, and maybe you guys will agree after we finish this episode because today we are talking about taste and smell so maybe you guys will agree most that you underrated sense Exactly. Yeah. I was looking online and anytime there's a survey of what kind of, what sense you'd give up, usually taste and smell are the, the losers. They're the ones that are given up the most often. I and I like can see why. But smell. I don't think everybody would want to give up all of their different tastes. Like people love food too much. That's true. But imagine how easy it would be to lose weight if you couldn't taste food, anything or if you good. couldn't taste it. Yeah. I don't know. Just eat bright, brightly colored cardboard. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> pleasing to your eyes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, taste and smell are chemical senses. So it's a little bit different than the sense of uh, or sight and the sense of hearing because it's actually chemicals that are coming into your body and interacting with your receptors in a certain way. So that's why we chose to group them together. Yes. Um, yeah, and taste is actually called gustation, and smell is olfaction. So we're probably going to be hearing those words a couple times throughout this episode. So just as a header, just as a heads up, if you hear gustation, that's taste. Olfaction is smell. Olfactory, and so, yeah. Yeah, and so covering our first sense today, Megan, take it away. Why, thank you, Marta. 
Uh, yes. So as Marta was saying, smell is a chemical sense. Uh, it's detected by sensory cells in our nose. Uh, basically, when an odorant, uh, a scent, stimulates what are called your olfactory receptors, uh, they're, they're also called chemoreceptors as well, um, they detect the smell and these cells pass on electrical impulses to the brain. Uh, volatile substances, and that would be something that becomes or gives off a smell, they release molecules or odorants. And uh, by the way, non-volatile substances like steel, they do not have a smell. Um, I so, did so, not know that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool? I didn't yeah. realize that either. I didn't know there was a, a name for something that has a smell and something that does not have a smell. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, hmm. Anyway, yes, and also neat sidebar, uh, temperature and humidity and solubility, solubility, they all affect odor as well. So like temperature and humidity will increase molecular activity. So uh, for example, trash smells worse in the heat and things smell musty oh, when they're don't damp. don't I know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. don't I know it. <laughs> uh, anywho, so... Uh, these, these cells, they pass the electrical impulses through what is called your olfactory bulb. And this is the part of your brain that sorts out the smell sensation and, and basically it turns it into a perception. So the olfactory bulb is the part of your brain's limbic system. And the limbic system includes the amygdala and the hippocampus. And these are vital structures to our behavior, our mood, and our memories. So the brain interprets patterns in the electrical activity as those odors and the, um, or sorry, like as specific odors, might misread that. And the olfactory sensation then becomes that perception of that scent, that which we recognize as a specific smell. So that's a pretty general glance at how odors eventually get recognized uh, as, as a smell in our brains. But the exact details, I don't think, are, are super critical for our discussion today. Um, the critical thing, basically, is odors pass through your nose, then they pass up through your olfactory bulb, and they end up in your brain's limbic system. Um, something kind of neat that I wanted to talk about. So uh, I, I found an article that was talking about some pretty groundbreaking research in uh, 1991. A man named Richel Axel, pardon me, Richard Axel and Linda Buck, uh, who's a woman, not a man, uh, published a paper explaining that olfactory, olfactory receptors and, and how the brain interprets smell. So they basically, they discovered a large gene family that coded olfactory receptor types, and they discovered that uh, every olfactory receptor cell has only one type of receptor. So each receptor type responds to certain molecules with greater intensity than others. And so these cells are just basically like they're extremely specialized to particular odors. And each receptor type sends its electrical impulse to a particular microregion of your olfactory bulb. And uh, they receive the information and then it gets passed on to other parts of your brain. So basically your brain interprets the odorant patterns that are produced by this activity in each different microregion as the smell. So I just thought that was kind of crazy. It went a little nuts. Uh, well, it didn't go nuts. Anyway, um, 
There are some competing theories that the quantum vibrations of odorant atoms also play a significant role here, uh, but still basically all of this happens on a, on a molecular level. The quantum what now? The quantum vibrations of odorant atoms. So like that electrical activity, that electrical activity of the, the smell tingling your receptors and it going through your olfactory bulb, that would be the, the quantum vibrations, I believe. That's so cool. Yeah. I like any time I get to use the word quantum in a sentence. And vibrations. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the physical stuff. Um, Now I want to move into the actual perception stuff, because in my opinion, this is where it gets super interesting. Um, So the fact that the olfactory bulb is part of your brain's limbic system is precisely why smell is uh, the sense that is most closely associated with bringing up powerful memories and responses like almost instantly. So, uh, the amygdala, as I mentioned, the part of the two parts of the limbic system are the amygdala and the hippocampus. Uh, the amygdala is that is the thing that processes emotion and the hippocampus is responsible for associative learning. So however, smell goes through too. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's part of your brain's limbic system and the olfactory bulb, like sends it right on through there oh neat yeah Uh, so that's like literally why the physical stuff is why why um smell brings up such powerful senses of of memory basically so despite the close proximity smells would not be quite so triggering of memories if it were not for conditional responses. So when you first smell a new scent, you link it to an event, a person, a thing, a moment, basically. So when that happens, your brain forges a link between that smell and that memory. So when you encounter the smell again, the link is already there and it's ready to bring up that memory or that mood. Uh, So for example, a personal example of mine, um, the smell of old books makes me think of the library that I went to when I was a little kid. I would spend a lot of time there. It wasn't super cool. I went to the library a lot. Anyway, uh, it had this wonderful smell of old books books and boxes and dusty shelves and things like that. So um, the smell of old books for me now could bring up a specific memory of like walking up to the library to return my books or get a new book or trudging through snow to to try and get there because I walked and stuff like that. Or it could just leave me feeling content or at peace or cozy or safe. Um, That's so, so sweet. Yeah. So we encounter most new odors when we're young. Um, So smells often bring up childhood memories for people. But we actually begin making associations between various smells and emotions before we're even born. And this is crazy. So, for example, infants who are exposed to alcohol, cigarettes or like garlic, even when they're in the womb, will show a preference or a comfort level for those smells when they're born. So those smells like that might really upset another baby, right? Like alcohol or cigarettes, they, they don't like that. But how, to, do you ex- how do you get exposed to garlic in the womb? Uh, I don't know, like your mom eats a lot of garlic or like you cook okay. with a lot of garlic, garlic or like maybe your mom's a chef in an Italian restaurant and so she's just around garlic a lot, I don't know. So it travels through the mom? Yes. Like not through like the belly? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, or something. It's not like the smell of garlic is permeating your mother's stomach. It's like she's yeah, and the baby can smell it. You no, know, it's not like that. Um, it's it's like your your mom would your mom would smell it, and that gets I think. Fuck, I maybe should have researched that part of it, but um, I I made the assumption that it like like your mother smelled it, and it, mm. that's where it went through. Like, how else would it get to the baby? I that's uh, that's why I asked. I I'm pretty sure it's because the mom smells it. I think that sounds right. Maybe I'll look huh. that up. Or if anyone who's listening actually knows the answer, please let us know. Because yeah. I, I thought it was very obvious. And then you asked the question. And now I realize I, I have no answers for you. But I think <laughs> she smells it. Um, anyways, back to my original point. Um, so those, those smells could really upset other babies. But to a baby who's exposed to those scents while they're in the womb, it would feel normal or possibly even comforting. Um, I have a few other interesting facts I want to share with you, Marta, about the sense of smell. Um, I so love interesting facts. I know you do. That's why I wrote <laughs> them down. <laughs> um, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. So despite all of these like very neat things about smells, smell is very easy to ignore. So one reason for that is that we don't have a very good language for smell. So uh, if you compare it to another scent, like uh, like describing what you see, you can talk about something's color, shape, size, texture, distance, like all those sorts of things. Sounds can be described using volume and pitch and tone and again, distance, but smell. And I have a feeling taste will be like this as well, um, but I will learn more about that when it's Marta's turn to talk. <laughs> but uh, smell specifically can't be described without comparing it to another similar smell so I thought that was I'd never thought of that I know I had never thought of that either but then I was like huh started thinking about it like well how would I describe the smell of a rose well you would probably compare it to the smell of another flower or like if you were trying to describe the smell of a of a certain food or something like that or you know what I mean like you you compare it by or sorry, you talk about it by comparing it to other smells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty cool, right? Um, another reason is the brain itself. So other senses information are delivered directly to what is called the thalamus, um, which is like your brain's main switchboard. And then it sends it out to other areas. But Smell, as I've mentioned, winds its way through the limbic system first. So you have emotional information associated with it before you're even really conscious of the smell. Your brain like processes that information before it makes the rest of you conscious of your of the presence of that smell. Ooh. Yeah. Lizard brain. What up? Yeah. <laughs> um, another neat thing to note is that hunger really affects your perception of smell. So people are typically more sensitive to odors when they're hungry, but they're actually better at detecting food-specific odors after a full meal. Huh. Yeah. Um, context is also critical for smell. So for example, the smell of manure is very unpleasant to many people, but for someone who grew up on a farm like me, uh, that smell could evoke feelings of nostalgia or yeah. certain foods from your home country that would smell amazing and delicious to you, uh, could be unpleasant or unappetizing to somebody who grew up in a different country with a totally different style of cuisine. Like fish, for example. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Learned. Yeah. 
Um, expectations also play a role. And this is kind of funny. It's a little gross, though. Uh, <laughs> so a good example is if you put Parmesan cheese into like a bowl or a cup oh, no, or no, something. No, no. I know. I don't want to know this one. I know this one. You know this one? Well, I can't <laughs> yeah. start the story and then not finish it, Marta. Well, of course, continue. Okay. But guys. So guys, it's a just... terrible prank. Don't ever do this to anybody, but <laughs> put Parmesan cheese into like a bowl or a receptacle and like cover it so they can't really see that it's in it and then tell them that someone threw up in there. And uh, if they smell it, they'll be disgusted by the smell because they think it's vomit. But if you told them from the beginning that it was delicious cheese, they would love it. Uh, there's also, uh, I thought you were going a little bit different with this. Oh. Do, you, is there a mo- do you have more interesting facts or can I insert? I do, of course, thing? have several more interesting facts. But if you want a little anecdote in there, go for it. Sure. It's about dogs and their sense of smell and why dogs might be attracted to eating shoes or underwear. Whoa. And it's because there's, yeah, it's because there's actually a similar or I think the same scent particle. Uh, one of them is... I don't have exact science here, guys. I'm talking off the top of my head, but there's <laughs> a particle that is the same in stinky shoes as it is in cheese. So the thing that makes us like cheese is actually why dogs might enjoy stinky shoes or underwear, that sort of thing. Huh. And that's why dogs eat vomit, too. <laughs> the more you know. Um, okay. The grosser it gets. The grosser it gets, <laughs> exactly. Um, so on that sort of related note, but let's get away from gross cheese pranks. Um, <laughs> uh, I read a cool bit of research. Uh, there's a doctor named Pamela Dalton, and she did a, an experiment where she presented a synthetic odor to people with asthma who reported high sensitivity to strong aromas. So she told half of the asthmatics in the exper- experiment uh, that the odor would reduce asthma symptoms, while the rest of them believed that the chemical scent might actually make their symptoms worse. So hmm. all of them smelled the same thing. It was like a rose-like fragrance, like a synthetic rose smell that was known to be harmless, even at like high concentrations. Um, anyway, uh, people who thought it might be dangerous to them reported feeling symptoms of asthma after sniffing it. And those who reported um, experiencing that inflammation had their symptoms persist for 24 hours. So they're liars. Well, they weren't liars. They were actually, they were lied to, but, but, um, like just, just that, that point that expectations really do play a part in how we perceive a smell. This actually, there's a really good, um, episode of, uh, um, this American life. It's not even, I think, I don't even think it's a regular episode of this American life. It's by a different somebody who runs a different podcast with NPR. Anyway, I'm straying, but they talk about the, uh, they talk about the origin of, of grape drink and like grape flavor. And it has to do with the sense of smell and how, you know, how flavors and different smells have things in common, like different notes in common. So I'd recommend that as a listen. Um, if anybody wants to know what it is, let me know and I'll, I'll look it up. But again, I don't have the specifics right now because I always start talking before I think. (laughs) (laughs) You should look it up. You should look it up and we should put it in like the information or the 
yeah, like the comment section, description section of the podcast for this episode. Okay, will do. Yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, anyway, back to back to our points here. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that smells are um, not all interpreted by our brains equally. So my my example here is body odor is is actually especially treated differently by our brain. So a study published in the cerebral cortex. Um, in a study published by the cerebral cortex, uh, tomography scan. Pardon? You Sorry, said published by the cerebral cortex, but do you mean about it? No, in it. Like the the it was publication published. is called the cerebral cortex. Shut up! Really? Yeah. <laughs> Here I am being a smartass, but I don't Who know knew? anything. <laughs> We didn't. Uh, Anyway, um, so in this study, tomography scans were used to look at women's brains as they smelled armpits of T-shirts that had been slept in overnight by a bunch of volunteers. Um, So then they also smelled, uh, pardon me, they also smelled shirts that were infused with a synthetic body odor smell. So while the test subjects couldn't consciously tell which of the samples were real and which of them were synthetic, their brain scans showed that the true body odor sense fired up different pathways in the brain than the synthetic ones. So the real, the real odors actually deactivated some areas of the brain, but instead lit up several areas of the brain that are used in recognizing familiar or fearful uh, stimuli. And they think that over the course of evolution, body odor has been tagged in our brains as an important stimulus and has been given dedicated neural networks for processing that odor. Guys, if you think this fact is really cool, uh, take a listen to our evolutionary psych episodes that are coming soon, hopefully. (laughs) Our non-existent Um, evolutionary psych episodes. (laughs) But it just reminded me of some research that is super cool in Ev Psych and the whole smelling of people's, like, they've done so many studies where they make women sniff t-shirts that have been worn by men. (laughs) It's actually insane, but so many really cool findings come out of it, so... I feel like Take you and I will, later. I think that we'll end up having a lot of evolutionary psych related episodes because I think oh. it's an area of psychology that ding, fascinates ding, ding. both of us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I want to wrap this up. I feel bad. I, I, I feel like I always monopolize our, our podcast no, conversations. Um, so fascinating. <laughs> Um, so a, a couple of other things I want to mention, it, there's a widely known bond between taste and smell, um, but smell also interacts with other senses in very interesting ways. So we process odors differently depending on other sensory input. Uh, for example, if someone is looking at a photograph of a rose and then smells rose oil, the aroma is perceived more intensely than if they were just to smell the rose oil while looking at a picture of a shoe or something like that. Huh. Yeah. Um, another cool thing I wanted to mention is that smell is now used very heavily in marketing and advertising, like as part of brand recognition. So, um, for example, an odor that is perceived to be consistent with a product's concept, like a, a floral scent for women's sleepwear or lingerie or something like that, will actually increase the perceived value of that product uh, and the price that people would be willing to pay for it. Um, and at this 
point now, resorts and stores actually use smells to build positive connotations with the experience of that resort or that store. Uh, And the smell acts as a reminder for consumers to return to that resort or store in the future. Like it actually increases brand loyalty. And I was reading this and I was thinking it's actually kind of ironic because I only thought about Hollister and how I never, ever want to shop at Hollister because of that smell. It just makes me think of being like in first or second year university and everybody I knew shopped at Hollister. And so anytime I went to the mall with my friends, we had to go into Hollister and I just, I hated it. It was so awful. And one of my friends was dating this guy who like wanted, I don't know if he actually worked at Hollister or if he just like only owned Hollister clothing, but he wore that cologne all the time. And I just wanted to gag every time I was around him. (laughs) One of my, uh, one of my exes used to wear the Abercrombie cologne all the time. And then after we broke up, anytime I'd walk past Abercrombie and Finch, I'd just get like We're furious. a knot, <laughs> a knot in my stomach. And it's just like such a mixture of like weird feelings, like nostalgia and obviously like it's your first love. So there's all that bullshit and also anger because obviously I was dumped. So uh, there's some bitterness mixed in with those feelings whenever I walk past Abercrombie and Finch. But again, I keep sidetracking your your conversation so I will let you continue (laughs) don't worry about it man it's all relevant um but yeah anyway I hate Hollister you hate Abercrombie and the smell (laughs) makes us both furious (laughs) um and another kind of neat thing in in how this is used or how how smell is used for sales is real estate like a real estate agent will you know go early yeah they'll they'll bake cookies or they'll light a candle that smelled with that that smells of cookies or I've also read a couple of articles that say if you like um boil lemon slices or something like that on the stove it'll make your whole house smell really really clean um anyway just these sorts of smells they they have such positive emotional connotations that when a prospective buyer comes in to look at the house and they smell baked cookies or they smell you know a clean lemon fresh scent they want to buy the house Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. They feel at home. Um, now, everything that I've described so far has been fairly positive, except for that, you know, cheese barf thing. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, smell can evoke very negative feelings or memories as well. Um, I read a couple of stories about... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but more uh, more so than that, I read a couple of stories about um, war veterans who are struggling with PTSD and being Shit. triggered by smells. Yeah, like um, I read one story where uh, a man, the smell of diesel fuel was particular triggering for this man because he had been witness to a big car explosion in which some of his fellow soldiers were killed. And so that- That's awful. Yeah, that smell would like transport him back to that moment and and induce really strong fears uh pardon me feelings of fear and panic and grief and yeah so not all positive associations with smell um yeah it 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 can be it, it brings up a lot it brings up a lot for us um now it's important that this sort of study of smell or olfaction um it's important to note that this study of it is pretty young um especially if you compare it to the study of like vision or hearing so in a lot of ways that our our understanding of our sense and perception of smell is still poorly understood um but we Mm -hmm. do um uh we certainly do know that smell has a great deal of influence over our emotions 
So I'm wondering, Marta, at this point, like after hearing me talk at, at length <laughs> about all of this, <laughs> other than the smell of Abercrombie, um, are there any smells that are like standing out for you now that bring up a very powerful memory or an emotion for you? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I actually, I'm surprised that I didn't jump on the topic of smell because it, it's just so fascinating, but you, fuck, you covered it so well. So many more interesting things than um, I have <laughs> for taste, but I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my shelf where I have my perfumes and I don't know if I've told you this, but when I go away, you definitely like when I go told me this, I love that you yeah. do this. I think it's really yeah. clever. When I go away, when I go traveling, I buy a new perfume and I wear that perfume exclusively on this trip. And I don't usually like perfume quite often, but like, I don't, I don't know. I don't perfume myself. It's kind of <laughs> like, I don't have time for that. So <laughs> no, I'm with you. I wear deodorant and that's it. I'm lucky if I yeah. remember to put on deodorant. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the, yeah, so I have this shelf of perfumes and each of them takes me back to that trip. So do you know that warm vanilla sugar, uh, body lotion from Bath and Body, Bath and Works? body Works? Yep. Yeah, I used it when I was um, when I was living in Australia, and anytime I smell it, instantly I just remember being in that little shared room and putting it on after like a shower or whatever, and it's just like takes me back instantly. Or patchouli is you, that super hippie smell the, of the essential mm -hmm. oil patchouli. My aunt in Poland always smells like it, and it like gets into your clothes and stuff. So she puts it on like maybe once or twice a week, but it's always just in her like she just is patchouli personified she's not like <laughs> she's not like a hippie per se but she's just super like she always wears linen and she's so calm and soothing and just the coolest woman um so I have like this little bottle of essential oil of patchouli essential oil so I could go on and on about the different scents because I've been trying to program my brain just <laughs> subconsciously so if I need like a calming down or whatever that helps. Or have you ever noticed like when the seasons change or if it's raining, it like the air smells a certain way and oh, it takes you absolutely. back to- Oh, absolutely. Absolutely with know, rain. I think it's probably a pretty common thing for people with rain. Or like spring or uh, winter smells a certain mm -hmm. way and it just, uh, anyway, I'm getting creepy, but- No, no, yes. it's cool. <laughs> I'm thinking like- uh, the, the Bath and Body Works thing that you mentioned, it made me immediately think of, you know, their, their smell, uh, I think it's called Sweet Pea. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that actually makes me very sad. I, I lived with a girl for a long time who I was very close with and she loved it and she bought it and sprayed it all over apartment. And I thought it was so wonderful and it was really nice coming home. And um, then we kind of broke up and <laughs> um, it's, it's I, lucky I, that you liked that smell yeah it makes me sad though now because I associate it with her and that that um time and the the fact that we're not in touch anymore is kind of a bummer but oddly enough you mentioned patchouli the guy who moved in <laughs> after that girl moved out um was uh he was he was kind of hippie too and he really liked to burn incense and so that smell became the smell of coming home and I have very positive associations with that because we are still friends. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So, scent, yeah. eh? <laughs> that smell. That smell, y'all. Um, okay. So, I guess that's my cue to get started with taste. Um, yeah, go for it. 
<laughs> as Megan said, taste is, or both of these senses are both very young um, areas of study, and I don't have nearly as many, uh, if any, cool facts about taste, so I'm going to be pretty facts-centered. <laughs> so, <laughs> to get started, taste, there's even fewer... Uh, there's even fewer descriptors for the word, like for taste, I would argue. Um, oh, in the English absolutely. Language. I don't know how mm-hmm. you would. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And there's still kind of quite a bit of discord or disagreement about what the, the basic tastes are. So for the longest time, it was salty, sour, sweet, and bitter. Um, and those were all agreed on, so you can taste all four of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, salty is associated with so- sodium ions, so when that chemical is in your mouth, it tastes salty. Uh, sour is when there's an acid in your mouth or hydrogen ions that triggers your sour receptors. Whoa. S- yeah, sweet is obviously sugars, so any kind of sugars. Bitter is any kind of alkaloids. But there's a new there's a new guy in town, and the flavor is called umami. Um, this is from you get this from MSG or any kind of meat flavoring or whatever. So hmm. this is yeah, this is like a savory flavor, which before wasn't really considered and wasn't counted as one of the basic flavor tenets. But now it's not universally agreed on, but it's pretty largely agreed on that umami also counts. I have a question. Is is savory not a word That's, to use? Like, is savory that in is umami? Oh, savory is umami. Yeah, umami is meat. Like, umami oh, is like okay. Yeah, like if you were to describe the taste of bread or stew or yeah, those types of things, like anything savory, it's umami. That's so funny because I would use the word savory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, may, sorry, word, I don't mean to interrupt no, you. No, that's, that's okay. The, the word savory, definitely more commonly used, but in like scientific terms, when we're talking about taste qualities, the word umami is what they use in science. I see. Don't know why. Didn't explain that properly. They sorry. should really just use savory. It's what the rest <laughs> of us are saying anyway. Yeah, exactly. When I read umami, I was like, is that a Japanese word for something? Yeah. They're like, ooh, mommy, your soup's so good. <laughs> that's what it is (laughs) that's what it is now (laughs) yeah totally Mm, mommy (laughs) oh god Uh, and then there's there's another one that I read but I am seriously questioning this and I only saw it appear in one one article that I read and it said that fatty acid is a taste quality so that you can taste fat um I'm gonna just ignore that one because there was only one article that said it nothing else even mentioned it let alone discredited it so what's funny though is uh when you said taste fat I had like an immediate upchuck reaction because I don't I don't know (laughs) that I've ever tasted fat but the texture of fat really bothers me so much it makes me think of like like I grew up on a a farm and so uh we ate a lot of meat and uh, my family is all big like yay red meat uh men and so the idea of like trimming the fat off of a of a roast or a steak or something like that is just like unheard of in my home and so I I just have this feeling oh god it made me so 
upset as it still makes me upset the feeling of having like a chunk of fat in something that I'm eating it just disgusts me so gross not that I I mean I love butter but like I don't want a piece of fat in my mouth my best friend Nicole she loves like the fat on steaks oh god that's disgusting oh my god that's awful there was we went to the keg, I think it was, or something, and she ordered like this really fatty cut of meat. I can't shit. It's gonna come to me after we record this, after we <laughs> pressed end on the recording. But she took the like the fat off of my plate. I was like, "You're disgusting. You need to leave this restaurant right that now." That is fucked. That's so <laughs> fucked. Oh. Anyway, anyway, sorry. So, fatty acid. Let's just pretend that that's not mentioned because we both don't like it. Um, also, there's not a whole lot of evidence to support that this is actually a one of the basic taste qualities. Um, and how do we perceive them, you ask? I know you guys are asking. I can hear you. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't just perceive it with the tongue and our mouth. We also per- It also works with the olfactory system. So whatever we're tasting, it's also going in through our nose. Uh, so we're smelling it. And beyond that, even if you had your nose plugged, it actually does go up. Um, because your mouth and your nose are connected, it goes up through your sinuses, um, and you can actually smell it in there, which is interesting. So when you eat something, it, yeah, it goes into your, into, in behind your face. Um, Yeah. Of course it does. As with, as with sight, there are different types of receptors intended for types of flavors. So I think you said this about smell as well. Yeah, smell is just like this. Yeah. Well, apparently it's like that. I only found one study that said that, but they got a Nobel Prize, so I'm pretty sure it's legit. Oh, that's good. I think (laughs) on that note, I think there's been some Nobel Prize work that's been discredited. Not this specifically, but isn't that weird that Nobel Prize work could be discredited? Yeah, I thought the point of maybe that's not the point of winning the Nobel Prize, but I kind of thought if you won a Nobel Prize, it was like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's different receptors for different types of tastes. So salty, sour, sweet, bitter, etc. cetera. Uh, and they're, they're all on your tongue. Uh, and the taste cell is on the very end of the receptor. So um, there's been plenty of, ideas or theories of how our receptors are mapped out on our tongue you may have seen if you've ever looked into taste you may have seen this little map of the tongue that said um uh you know like the front of your tongue can taste this the sides of it can taste that etc etc that's actually not true so it's not true yeah it's not true the idea now is that they they are all over your tongue uh it's not that like you can only taste one thing in one area, that sort of thing. Huh. Um, yeah. So I have it written down. Oh, the back of the tongue sensed bitter. So that, Oh, and there was also even a rationale for this concept. So the back of the tongue tastes bitter so that we can spit out poisons. The front of the tongue senses sweet so that we can identify how high energy foods. Um, however, we now know that all areas of the, tongue are with taste receptors are capable of responding to every taste so also anywhere- i feel like i have to say if i was being poisoned i don't want to wait until it's at the back of my mouth oh before my i know to spit yeah. it out like duh. yeah like vice versa <laughs> it should be bitter at the front yeah <laughs> i anyway. agree 
Um, so taste buds are clusters of cells and they're not all over your tongue. They are in specific areas of your tongue. So uh, I think it's like the underside of your tongue can't taste or something. Uh, and they're usually, the cells are usually in clusters of 50 to 150 cells per bud. So you've got lots of tasting power. Uh, and they're located near the surface of the tongue in folds and valleys. So there's different types of what they call papillae. Uh, and there's fungiform, I don't know how to pronounce this. And there's eight, ta <laughs> eight taste buds on those kinds. So they, these ones also, these taste papillae also have touch and temperature sensors, uh, receptors. So your tongue is pretty, like, it's kind of like a multi-tool. Because, <laughs> like, your, your eyes don't really sense temperature, but your tongue does. Anyway. Huh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. I never so thought of temperature. Oh, so touch is going to have to talk about that as well. Yeah. We're going to yeah, have to get so. into that. That's really cool. I never, of course, sorry, I don't mean um, to interrupt you. I just no, am having no, a bit no of problem. a, like a brain revolution Epiphany. right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool because your, your taste papillae can also sense touch. So touch and temperature. Um, wow. And yeah. And the filiform papillae are on the sides of your tongue uh, and they don't contain any taste buds so you can't taste anything with the side of your tongue so don't try <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna um, try I feel like I feel like that's not real but you go like licking candy with the side of your tongue <laughs> just the side <laughs> hey do you have anything really sour I want to try to taste it with the side of my tongue <laughs> I just want to rub it along the side of my tongue and see if I can taste it <laughs> Um, so once it's, once it's, uh, touched your tongue in the appropriate area, uh, it goes through your, it goes through a pathway of nerves and ends up in the gustatory cortis, cortexes. So you have special areas of the brain specifically meant for, uh, taste. And as you guys have noticed, there's special areas of the brain for every sense. So it's not like it all just goes generally into the brain bucket. There's specific areas for each each sense mm -hmm. um, and some neurons just like with smell some neurons respond only to one taste but some respond to several so there's some neurons that are like specifically for bitter but there are some neurons in your brain that can be ignited by any of those tastes um, and temperature also affects taste just like it affects smell so when something's really warm or cold you're less able to taste it so how to apply this to your cooking you should always season something at the eating temperature so if you're making stew uh, and it doesn't taste salty enough when it's like boiling just let it cool and then taste it and it's probably salty enough yeah, that's, um, that's really cool. I have actually been trying this. I, I drink a lot of loose leaf tea and, um, that's, that's definitely a thing in terms of steeping tea. Like you're not supposed to, um, use like truly boiling water when you are making tea, you're supposed to boil it, let it cool for, um, you know, five, 10 minutes, like near boiling water is what you want and then let it steep for a little while. So by the time you're drinking it, um, it's at more drinking temperature. You can taste it better. It, it tastes better. That's interesting that you say that because I've always ignored the temperatures. Like when you get David's tea or whatever, I'm I've always exactly ignored the talking about David's tea and their temperature apparently is really important. Then, Same with like matcha too. Like you're, you're, yeah. yeah. 
But then I was like, I keep fucking up my green tea. And it's because green tea has the lowest steeping temperature of them all. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating because it's so easy to make bitter by either uh, burning it with super hot water or letting it steep for too long. So yeah. I, as a result, I have not changed my ways. I've just stopped drinking green tea. <laughs> <laughs> no, change your ways, Marta. Don't stop drinking green tea. Um, well, same I'll with- like boil it and I let it sit, but I still fuck it up. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, it's uh, just just let that like boil it. Let your kettle sit on the stove for or if you use a like a electric, electric. kettle or something like that, boil it, let it chill for a second, literally chill. And um, then then when it's only near boiling, uh, then you should steep your tea. Hmm. Yeah. Um, other ways that the temperature can affect your taste. Cold pizza is saltier. So, well, not like refrigerated cold, but when it's like room temperature cold and no longer hot, it's saltier. That's why it's so good as a hangover food. <laughs> and speaking of hangovers, cold wine is less sweet. So if you have a white wine that's like super sweet and you hate it, chill it and it will taste a lot better. That's cool. I always chill white wine just because I like to drink it cold, but I don't yeah. like very sweet wine. So same. That's, same. that's a plus, right on. Yeah, uh, my mom for Christmas last year, I asked for just like wine accessories. <laughs> like I wanted like <laughs> those little dongles that you put on wine glasses, like just uh, like a fancy um, glass. What is it? Um, Cork puller. Yeah. Decorker. I don't know. I know the word in Polish, but. <laughs> uh, and then she got me this thing. It's like this metal rod with a spout and a hole in it. So you keep the metal rod in your freezer. And then if somebody brings you a warm bottle of white wine, you can still drink it instantly by Whoa. putting this. Yeah. You cool. put the metal rod like in through the top of the wine bottle and it pours like along the rod out through the hole and out through the spout. That's super cool. It's so good. Megan. <laughs> <laughs> We have to have a wine night, I think, is where this is going. We need to have a not super sweet, cold, white wine night. Yes. Yes. Give me a Pinot Grige any day. (laughs) Ew. I'm so obnoxious. I just said Pinot Grige. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Um, Moving right along, uh, you respond more to multimodal stimuli than single modal. So same thing as when Megan said, when... It, when you're looking at a picture of a shoe and smelling rose oil, it's not as like not as intense as if you're when you're looking, looking at, a, at picture a picture of a rose. Yeah, exactly. So when you're eating pasta, if you're in, in an Italian restaurant and there's pasta in front of you and your date has pasta too, and the pasta looks beautiful and you're smelling it and you're tasting it and the texture of pasta. It's just all goes together and it's better if you close your eyes and are given pasta blended. <laughs> or like um, um, popcorn in a movie theater or nice. uh, something like that. Yeah, like the the yeah. experience, the, the um, oh, what was the word that I used? Uh, um, oh my God, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't believe I'm having this. Where are my notes? Is it on the tip of your tongue? Uh, it's really? on the tip of my tongue, almost <laughs> literally. Uh, I can't find it. Context. Those... Context. Yes. <laughs> are those Georgia Context. searching sounds? Ba, ba, da, ba, ba, da. That was a bit of a Georgia searching sound. You're right. 
Um, we listen to a lot of My Favorite Murder. We listen to so much My Favorite Murder. Yeah. And one of the co-hosts, Georgia, whenever she's looking through her notes, she goes like, da 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 or ba 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 or whatever. Yeah. 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 That one. Anyway. Okay. So I'm so close to finishing so that I can stop rambling at you guys soon. Um, age also affects your sense of taste and your thresholds. So your taste thresholds, if you guys remember back to our previous episode when I was talking about absolute threshold and difference threshold, that sort of shit, um, that's the explanation for why your grandmother's mashed potatoes are so damn bland because she has a much lower salt threshold. So you need to add it up because you have a higher threshold. Wow. Yeah. So your grandma actually is not a bad cook. She's great but just for 80 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> and that must be why like, um, like uh, it's, it's common knowledge. I think that like your taste matures over time. Like you, yeah, when you're a child, you, you don't like Brussels sprouts or you don't like broccoli or something like that. And then you get older and you're like, give me all those Brussels sprouts. Also, I am like that die prematurely. Cause you know, you need the vitamins. <laughs> maybe, maybe that too. Um, I'm glad you mentioned children and tasting because uh, you actually can't taste salt until four months after birth. Really? Yeah. So you can give your baby a mouthful of salt. I don't think your doctor will approve this, but... How do you test that? Like, how do you test that a child... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe... Because children tend to react when they're presented like a new stimuli. Yeah, that's so, true. Like I'm so thinking like, of the babies tasting lemons freaking out. Oh, it's so cute. It is cute. It's so sad. So there you can tell that they can definitely taste sour. <laughs> that's yeah. a surefire way. Huh. But um, I didn't. I actually didn't look into the method of this research. I should have. That's wild. That's really, really cool. Um, And then finally, culture can affect how you taste. So some aspects are learned, such as spices, food, condiments, uh, their acquired tastes. But the one thing that is universally disliked across all cultures and just evolutionarily disliked, Megan, do you want to take a guess? No. Poo. (laughs) It's poo. I'm sorry. Yeah, universally across all cultures, like different cultures eat bugs, different cultures eat things that taste like dirt. They eat everything, but nobody anywhere eats poo. Nobody and likes for, the smell of poo. Except if reason. you grew up on a farm and it's a nostalgic smell. It's not a good smell, but it does well, make you smell, feel weirdly taste. at home. I'm so taste. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm all, <laughs> I got smell on the brain. <laughs> Smell on the brain and context on the tongue. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So that's my final thing that we're actually hardwired against certain things, but everything else can be, well, mostly everything else can be learned. And that's where I'm going to end it for taste. Wow. Um, I have a question for you. Yes. What's your favorite food? Oh, I both love and hate this question because okay um let me let me re-ask it so like what's your favorite food based on like its flavor specifically that actually didn't help at all oh sorry but (laughs) I usually say (laughs) potatoes and I like potatoes because they're so versatile Um, I love potatoes too yeah also potatoes just rock my favorite like ingredient is definitely cheese 
cheese everywhere all the time. Whenever Calvin and I go out for dinner and he's like, what do you want? It's always gnocchi, which are made out of potatoes and is pasta and yeah. cheese. And you can yeah. have whatever kind of sauce. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to say my go-to is probably Polish cabbage rolls. <laughs> oh, because it's I like love rice and cabbage meat. rolls. I yeah, love and wrapped rolls. in a fuck ton of cabbage. Like the traditional Polish way is to, because meat was always really expensive in Poland and really hard to come by, like back in the day. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a lot of cabbage wrapped around the meat. So it's like pretty healthy, and then smothered in like this creamy tomato sauce. Oh, mm. yum! Wrap oh, me up and ship so me good. out. It's so delicious. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted, but yeah, no, no. those are my. Those are the foods that come to my mind. That's great. That's cool. Well, what's your favorite? Oh, potatoes. Um, you said. Well, yeah, yeah. I think potatoes. Um, I think potatoes, but but I I just love potatoes in all of their forms, and they all have a lot of different flavors. I just really like what what you can do with a potato. Um, Ironically, you sounded kind of Irish when you said potato. Well, I have like, I ooh. have a little Irish in my blood. Yeah. Ooh, um, potato. <laughs> oh. Tiddly D. Um, <laughs> Ooh, favorite, all the stereotypes. Flavor. Umami. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite food based solely on its flavor. I really, really, really love yogurt and granola, like plain yogurt with honey and granola. That's like hmm. probably my favorite. Oh, or coffee. Duh. I know coffee's really? not technically a food, but like coffee. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny? That I love both the taste and smell of coffee. It's the best. Sometimes I need the effect of coffee, but I'm like, I just don't want to drink it. Really? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I actually drink decaf coffee because I just really <gasps> no. love the taste. No, you're one of those. I oh am gosh. totally one of those. If it's after 11, I can't be having caffeine, but I got to have a coffee. Girl, so many things to learn about oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's part of this podcast as well. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that was very interesting. Um, it's. I, I think it's really cool, like, like, Smell and taste are both very interesting on their own, but I thought it was really cool, uh, first of all, how those two senses work together, but um, in general, just the like how those two senses work with other senses, like the, the fact that you smell something more if you're looking at it, or you taste something more if you're in the right context for it. I think that's so cool. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really apply to like sight. You don't see something more if you can smell it too. No, I don't think so. Um I think it does maybe apply to hearing. I don't remember. I feel like I read a couple of things. I don't think I talked about it, but I feel like I read a couple of things that like you would you would um not that you hear something better that but like you would pay more attention to something if it was if you could see it or if you um like if you smelled fire you'd be listening for the crackling of fire or like probably actually if you smelled fire you would be looking for it as well but again it, it huh. like that thing tr- causes you to seek it out um but yeah i think it's very cool how how smell and taste in particular interact with other senses um yeah agreed yeah yeah <laughs> well that's uh I think that's 
pretty much it for today, guys. We do have one more episode uh, for our Sense and, and Perception series. So that's going to be our next episode. We'll be covering the, the fifth sense, touch, um, and we will also be exploring sense pathology. So that is how your brain behaves or compensates for a missing sense. Uh, I'm particularly looking forward to that discussion. I, I'm, so am I. I don't know anything about sense pathology, so I, I am just really excited to discover all of that. So yeah, just be sure to tune in, in for our, yeah, pathology in general. <laughs> um, yeah, be sure to tune in to the final installment of the psychology of senses and perception. Uh, and in the meantime, while you guys are waiting for that entire long week before we post, make sure that you <laughs> like, rate, subscribe, email us, do what you can, share our podcast, whether you like it or hate it, share it anyway. Please do. Please do. Yeah. And that's, that's everything. All right. <laughs> See you guys later. Have a good one. <laughs>